Welcome everyone to uh, what is a great Monday after a fantastic win by the best football club in the world. This is episode 15 of Bombercast, a podcast brought to you about the Essendon Football Club from the posters and community at Big Footy Essendon. I'm your host tonight, uh, the Grizz, stepping in for Bonta, who's having a week off. Uh, don't worry, he'll be back next week. But I'm joined tonight by two people who could be classed as regulars now in Kip Tastic. How are you, Kip? Good, thanks, Grizz. Thanks for having me, especially after I was so confident the week before. does feel a bit like Dad lending you his car as a teenager and hoping that it comes back in one piece. So, Bonsa, we'll try and get this um, podcast back to you in one piece, not yeah. driving into a ditch somewhere. Yeah, if uh, the podcast isn't allowed on next week, then uh, we blame the next guy who's on tonight as well, returning again, Big Dave. How are you, mate? Oh, very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, fantastic win. I probably shouldn't tell you that the last time I borrowed one of my parents' cars, it ended up on its roof in front of 400 high school students, but... <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the truth. Many, many years ago, but yeah, what a what a great win! Certainly, not one that was expected. I think by many people, hoped for maybe, but certainly not expected. I was I was saying ten goal. I said on the on the podcast last week ten goal loss, um, and I was thinking that way all all the way probably until about halfway through the third quarter when I started to really believe, and then we just kept going and. and managed to run over the top of uh, what was, until um, this week, the best team in the game. Yeah, well, it, we'll start there. I suppose we already have. It was probably, oh, I think, the biggest upset we've had in, in a fair while. It was a great win. I think the game was mainly won out of contest and clearances. Whoever seemed to win the clearances and got the ball forward seemed to score. Pretty free-flowing game, lots of transition between the arcs, but... Uh, luckily, we got the chocolates. I'll start with you, Dave. Uh, what did you like from yesterday's win? What did you notice? Uh, look, what, what I liked was that we didn't start off well. Now, they could have blown us away in the first quarter with the, the amount of possession and inside 50s they had. I think at one point it was something ridiculous, like 15 to 5. But the team and, and the players showed the resilience that I think we've all been waiting to see for a long time and brought the pressure in the final three quarters with you know a lot of tackling and beat them at probably what is their strength, clearance football. So, you know, for me, that those were the two most pleasing aspects. Just to be able to dig deep and come back from a bit of a flogging in the first quarter was very, very pleasing. Yeah, it was really cool to see. Like you said, we weathered that storm pretty well to start with. I think the Doggies really should have put us away with their goal kicking early. I thought we were given a, a pretty big helping hand in that and conversion seemed to be a story throughout the day. But Kip, we'll go to you now. What did you see yesterday and what did you like about the game and what did you pick up about how it was played and really how efficiently we were able to score going inside 50. So I think a lot of that came from, you know, the, the clearance work, and it's, it's really stood out um, the last couple of weeks. Obviously, against the Swans, it was our clearances that kept us in the game. And once again, our clearance work, second to none, we're going up against one, one of the deepest midfields. They have one of the top two um, clearance experts in Libertore, and then you throw players like Bont and McRae, and there's just the incredible depth in their midfield. And we we matched them and and beat them in that, in that game. I think Draper... Um, had a huge game against another rising Ruckman in English. I think he, he gave um, English a lesson. And then particularly once he wasn't up against English, he knew that he could just dominate. He had he had the one where he would just, you know, smash it forward and, and she would run on it, onto it. There was the one at the 50-metre mark where he just threw Bruce out of the way, kicked it forward, and that ended in the golfy goal. And he really knew when to when to take the game on. And the other thing um, that we managed to do really well was was cut off the run from the back line. All the Baileys in the um, Western Bulldogs side really didn't have the influence 
that they normally would from halfback because we, we put that pressure on. You have the Guelphies and the Clarks and the Snellings and the Smiths really working hard to limit the back end. I think we can probably see that in the Sydney game. We didn't limit the movement from halfback as well. And so those sort of players deserve a lot of credit for that. And then the back line just, just holding up. Although I think um, there's a, there is an opportunity for um, G Post to get three votes. They did a, did a fair bit of work, but just the back line, some of the, some of the efforts, um, particularly something like Stewart's um, amazing smother, just to keep us in it when the dogs were surging. Yeah, I thought Draper was fantastic. He brought aggression to the contest and it's been a long time since I can think of an Essendon Ruckman that other teams would genuinely be afraid of. Uh, and that's not to knock guys like Tommy Bell Chambers and, and David Hill, who were great servants to the club, but Draper just seems to have a, a little bit of mongrel about him that he relishes the physical contest. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was in the first quarter, and you could the commentators actually touched on it, was we kept getting sucked into the contest. You know, there'd be four on four and all four of our players would go to the Bulldogs play with the ball and they would get it out on the outside and clear it. And at the start of the second quarter, we almost went the other way where instead of everyone going to the contest, we sort of hung back and nobody was going into tackle. But, you know, sort of halfway through the quarter, we seemed to get that mix right. And that's where we really sort of put the crimps on them being able to get that running pinball style game going. So I think yeah, a bit of kudos to the coaching staff and the players there for being able to get, you know, make an adjustment in game. Really good point. A really good pick up, Dave, regarding that uh, element of the game. I think uh, they showed a stat in Fox football that when the Bulldogs work it from clearance with handballs, so three plus handballs, they're the number one scoring team in the competition. And in the first quarter, they're doing exactly what you said, Dave, in that we'd all get, all the Essendon players would rush to the ball and the Bulldogs would just flick it out and they'd be on their merry way. And what we did in the second half was we were much better at closing off the outlets, which is incidentally what Melbourne did against the Bulldogs when they beat them or trounced them earlier in the year. And as the game wore on, Draper started to get some ascendancy in the hitouts. And I don't think I've seen our midfielders being able to be as proactive as they were at the clearances. Like you saw Shield beelining through a clearance, knowing Draper was going to knock it in his path. Stringer was everywhere. And one of the reasons I think... One of the reasons, sorry, I think we got on top was that the Bulldogs went from thinking, all right, first hands on the footy, we'll get it out to, all right, we have to shark Draper here because he's just dominating English in the ruck hit out, which just changes the midfield dynamic incredibly quickly. It's interesting now, uh, we'll go from one tall in Draper to another one in, in Peter Wright, who probably had the game of his life here. It's what we all hoped that he could produce. And I think going back to when he, when he was drafted, this is the sort of game that people are expecting. You know, if you draft a tall forward as a top 10 pick, this is the sort of game that you want. And it's not like he did it against, you know, it's not like a Josh Bruce against North Melbourne kicking 10 goals. This is against the best team in the game with the best midfield that should be denying players like Peter Wright opportunity to get scores like this. And just he's, he seemed to have such confidence in his hands and knowing when to leave. And there's an there's amazing delivery to him. I think the um, Stringer one, they, they pointed out a lot for one of his first couple of goals where Stringer was sort of running one lane of the 50 and managed to drill it all the way into the other pocket just perfectly for him. There was a lot of that where he got really good delivery, but there was also times when he worked really well. So toward, I think his last goal, he started in the ruck and he got the tap forward and we were, we were working it forward. And he worked hard forward to get in a position to take that mark on the 50. And I think we've all had the trauma of seeing Joe Danaher kick. Now got a lot of um, really accurate kicks. And, you know, Peter Wright from the 50, never in doubt. You don't even see Essendon players getting on the um, the line because they just know he's going to make the distance. And he's um, such a natural kick, just going to go through. Dave, how did you find it? What was your most pleasing aspect of um, Wright's game? My most pleasing aspect of the game was probably his marking. Up until Sunday, he, he's had an okay season. Like He's been good without being outstanding. 
if he can play games like that, now not not every week, but every other week, and and I don't mean the seven goals, I just mean the presenting and the impact that he was having. He's going to turn into the sort of player that any team would be happy to have. So I thought earlier in the year there were times where he was a bit hesitant in his marking or he'd get his hands to the ball and it wouldn't stick, and, and that certainly wasn't the case yesterday. And I think part of that is that the Bulldogs weren't able to double-team him. I think early on, Fancy's first goal for the game, the, the first goal we kicked, you could see when Sheila Merritt was kicking the ball in, Francis's man peeled off and went to right to try and double-team him and left Francis free. And I think the fact that Francis was able to have the impact he had meant that they had to pay more respect to him and they weren't able to double-team right, whereas in other games during the season, you know, we've seen him going up two-on-one. And I don't think that's necessarily his go. He's not a monster, uh, despite being two metres tall. Are we sure he's two metres tall? Where have you heard that before? <laughs> Yeah, that very good point. It was actually funny when we played Collingwood, somebody sitting behind me about for Collingwood went off their nut at Grundy for being outmarked by him. And I had to point out, you do realise they're the same height. Maybe not everybody knows he's two metres tall. But yeah, to me, he's marking. And I'm, I really hope that that's the sort of game that, you know, breakout game that'll give him the confidence to, I guess, what we saw from another import in in uh, Stewart when he first came to the club and that first year he played before he got injured. You could just see being played every week, and getting a go and having the coach back him, he just blossomed. And I really hope that this is sort of the start of seeing Peter Wright do that. Building on what you said about with Wright and Francis, I think one of the pleasing aspects of it was, I think when particularly when Hooker was um, struggling towards, you know, the last, last few games that he's played, we're often seeing Wright and Hooker fly for the same ball. You didn't see that a lot yesterday with Francis and Wright. They were leading in different spots. And as you sort of said, they... You know, it was difficult for the Bulldogs to peel off because at the start of the game, Francis was getting into really um, dangerous positions and Wright was doing a good job of holding back so that um, Francis could get a clean run at the ball. And then I think Francis did a lot of work, unrewarded work in the second and third quarters. He didn't get much of a touch, but he sort of cleared space where Wright could act that way. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, of all the the teams we could play in the top eight, the Bulldogs probably have the most undermanned defence. So I think they had Josh Shackey, who's been a, a key defender all of five minutes. They had Easton Wood, who, despite being an outstanding athlete and one of the all-time good guys, probably not accustomed to playing on someone the size of Peter Wright or the size of Aaron Francis, particularly to leap with Aaron Francis as well. You know, it was a makeshift defence for the Bulldogs. And I think in the first quarter, again, we are sort of running into each other. There was one point where Durham ran straight into Francis, who was coming in for an uncontested mark. And you just sort of shake your head a little bit. But we did a really good job of isolating defenders. I think someone posted in the game day thread when Shaki went off with his knee that we need to isolate our forwards. And we did that really well. And it's interesting because we've heard on the podcast the last few weeks, you know, what do we do with Hooker? Does he go around again? Do we need to recruit a big forward, a, a makeshift? Do we need to go find a big gun? It was interesting watching Francis the last couple of weeks doesn't look out of place at full forward. And Peter Wright obviously had a big game, kicked efficiently, seven goals straight. I mean, Sydney did us dirty last week, kicking 13 straight. We did the same thing to the Bulldogs seemingly this week. Do you think we've found something here with Francis Wright potentially Jones coming back next year. And then we've already found a couple of defenders, maybe in Stuart Laverde. Do you think we might, might have accidentally stumbled across something here? Certainly, it's promising. One game doesn't make a season. So I guess we've just got to wait and see how they work together you know, in the next couple of weeks, whether teams are able to 
you know, look at the film of Sunday's game and, and work out ways to, you know, try and stop Francis and Wright. But I think it's more than just them. You know, we, we have a couple of medium-sized players, Stringer when he goes forward, even though he didn't hit the scoreboard, I think, on the weekend. Waterman is, you know, is very dangerous from anywhere on you know, the right-hand side of the ground. He's just a dead-eye dick with his left foot. Uh, so, yeah, I think particularly when Jones does come back, he's that running high-volume distance player that's going to present and give us the outlet leads that we need coming out of defence when the ball's down there. And and I think it's certainly worth persisting with. Francis has got all the tools, as you said, to play as a full forward. He's quick. He can jump. He's got good hands. He's a good kick. So I certainly think he's worth persisting. And, uh, you know, with, with Stuart and Laverde back, I mean, Laverde, I thought, at the end of last year was cooked. I thought he was done. He, he couldn't stay on the park as a forward. He kept getting injured. Yeah, not that it was his fault that he was getting injured, but yeah, he would show glimpses of what he was capable of and then he'd be out for six weeks. And this year, though, he's just absolutely blown me away with his you know, ability to go back and do a job. And in the last couple of weeks in particular, you know, the, the, to play through an injury and, and guts it out, I think when we get Reed in the team next year, I think we'll have a really good mix. Kip, what did you think? Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about our key position stocks going forward. What did you say of the weekend? Do you reckon we've found something there or do you still think there's some more work to do? You definitely found something. I, I even said last week when a lot of people were getting stuck into Francis, there was still a lot to like. He was presenting up on the wing. He was taking strong marks. Um, his kicking wasn't great, but he hadn't played a game in, a, in anger really for a month prior to the VFL the week before. So you can sort of give him that. One thing I really liked about him was his, his effort to really get to and have contests that he really didn't have a right to get to. He was really stretching. That might be the defender in him, um, which can be good in, in the forward line. Um, just that effort to, to at least bring the ball ground and, and create something. I think what it does, it, it gives us time. I don't think there's any right playing like that. Options with Francis and Jones. Potentially, Hooker stays on the list for a year as, as sort of a backup. It gives us time. Um, it gives us time to look at a Baldwin or a McBride, see if see what their what value they have. Hopefully next year we get a full VFL season to have a look there, and then potentially look for other options if we need it. You know, there's a potential for a, a king to be available and the like. I think the probably the biggest concern in the, in the forward line is the smalls. You know, Tipper is definitely dropped right off a cliff. You know, you can see the frustration just with his reaction to the Taylor Duray mark where he, he knocked it out. Uh, he actually has a little bit of frustration that he can't influence the game as much as he would like. Smith's doing okay, and Waterman I think is a, a preset need a full preseason before we can really see what his potential is. So there's the potential for looking for smalls. I know we're all really excited about the Davies, but even if they're a year away from even being drafted, let alone playing a game. So I think it's actually our smalls that we have to look at in our forward line. I think the talls and mediums were pretty well set and mediums in terms of Stringer and, and Langford as options there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Tip and Woody, to me, he looks like he's injured. Um, he's not moving as quickly as he has been and he looks to be carrying a bit of condition and I think maybe if we had any other options they might be able to rest him but at the moment that there probably aren't any other options we can play down there so I'd agree with everything you said there. Yeah I think it's pretty obvious that Tipper's carrying something there are a couple of efforts in a tackle where he could barely get I think it was his left arm but it might have just been the angle where he barely got it above shoulder height and the classic Tipper that tackled like a predator um, and just scared the living bejesus head opposition doesn't seem to be back and a lot of his game is built off of that 
um, in terms of that pressure and getting those sort of half chances like he was at the start of the year. And I really liked what you said about time kick. So I think one of the worst things we can do here is if we do make the finals and we'll get to that maybe a bit later and we look at our list and go, oh, we need a gun key forward or a gun key defender. We don't want to do what Carlton's done. We don't want to do what other clubs have done where they've gone, all right, we're one or two pieces away here. They've paid overs or they've gone in salary or in trade capital to get them and it hasn't worked out because they haven't gauged where they were. Even if we scrape into finals, I think we're at least two to three years away from being a genuine contender and I would rather wait for the right player to come by and no pun intended in say maybe a Ben King or a like in the next couple of years than try force a hand to get a Wiedemann this time or, you know, um, from from Melbourne, sorry, or to try get, you know, Levi Caswell to fill a role or paying overs for Ben King this year when we can potentially get him next year. I think time's very important, so that's a good point. Was there anything else from this game before we sort of move on, lads, that you liked or didn't like from players? I think maybe one thing, Shields seems to be slowly building back up. I quite like his connection with Draper. I think we talked about it earlier. Just needs to work on his kicking. He needs to go to whichever coach Darcy went to to get his kicking right. <laughs> some of those some of those burst plays are in you know ninety percent good stuff until the kick, and then the kick, you know, just lands in the middle of opposition players. So he needs to work on that. But you know, it's really good to see him back and and starting to show some of that old form. Yeah, and for mine, I guess not. I don't like to be a negative Nelly, but someone needs to take Nick Hind aside and tell him if he's going to kick across goal. He's got him. He's got to hit his target because oh. he, he he went back across goal a couple of times and cost us. I think he cost us a goal on one occasion, and I think they had a shot and missed on another. And yeah, you know, I love his creativity. I love his run off half back. I love his attack on the ball. But you know, you can't go across goal to a bloke who's five metres off his opponent. So we'll, we'll sort of just move on a little bit from there. I mentioned at the start that it was a bit of a boil over. Um, we're, we're, we've got a history of the boil over here at Essendon, particularly teams that seem to be flying at the top of the ladder. We've got St Kilda, I think it was in 2009 when they'd won 17 or 18 straight. Geelong in 2000, was it 2010? I think 2011. It was 2011, yes. their premiership year where... Jakey Melksham kicked the goal to seal it and Essendon supporters collectively jumped off the couch and hit the roof. Tell me quickly, lads, before we uh, move on to the next segment, what was your favourite boil over of the last 20 years? Was it last night, the St Kilda game, the Geelong game, another another one? Uh, Which one was it the, for you guys? The big one for me is the 2011 Geelong game. We had no chance going into that. We'd we'd had a good start the season. It was Hurdy's first year. Um, Heppel had come in and, and players were playing well. Watson was Watson was you know in, in his prime, doing quite well. And then we had a big mid-season slump, the old um, July slump that we used to have. And so we're coming up against Geelong, who has won every game, looking like one of the two favourites in the Premiership with Collingwood. Um, and we lose Watson, so Watson doesn't actually play that game. There's absolutely no chance that we win that game. And then somehow we've come into the game. Andrew Welsh has played the quarter and a half of his life on Matthew Scarlett, um, basically nullified the fullback, arguably the, the best fullback we've ever seen. Quarter and a half kicked a couple of goals. Unfortunately, went off injured. And after that, Geelong started to slowly get back in the game. But it was just contributions to a lot of people. It's, it's the night that, um, you know, it's probably the best game Melksham's ever played. Um, I haven't watched every game he's played at Mel- Melbourne, but that was when we thought he might have been, you know, an absolute star. We had absolute warriors like Hocking and Howlett really driving driving hard. It was the um, announcement of Michael Hibbert as a real play. He took it up to Stevie J, um, even though Stevie J got back into it in the last, last quarter, kicked a few goals to make it really close. It was just an amazing night to watch, and we're probably a lot lower than where we are where we are now. And Geelong was a better team than the Bulldogs were, so that that's the one that really sticks out to me. Look, I, I love that game. 
simply from the point of view that I don't think we've beaten Geelong for six or seven years. And I think it was another five years after that game till we beat them again. And I, I can remember the commentators making a huge deal over the fact that a certain punter, uh, whose name shall remain Kerry Packer, uh, had bet a million dollars on Geelong at stupid odds to win, I think, something like 10 grand. And the fact that it was a two-horse race, I just thought that was crazy. But to me, David, I thought that that was also one of the games where um, we sort of saw glimpses of um, Hardingham and Cranberry's running. You know, his ability to take the ball in the middle of the ground and, you know, sprint almost half the length of the ground against some quality opponents. It was just fabulous. The St Kilda upset was probably one of my favourite games, apart from one thing, which was that I had to go and pick my wife up from the airport that night, so I didn't actually get to go to the game. I had to listen to it on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) When Rewalt was taking the shot from goal, a shot at goal, and, you know, the the commentators were all saying, oh, you know, he's shaking his head. I thought, he doesn't want to kick this. So, yeah, for me, those were the two, but I would tend to agree with with Crip that, um, you know, Geelong at their pomp, you know, in the middle of or at the end of, you know, three flags in five years. I do want to say, um, Dave, that's a pretty pretty impressive bet for Kerry Packer, given that he's been, he was dead for five years at that stage. But yeah, I wouldn't put it past the old man. <laughs> I think you mean James. Yeah. James. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. fairly certain it was one of the Packers. That's it. <laughs> All right. We'll probably move on to the next segment now. I think that St Kilda game, just quickly, is underrated as a club that was on a 19 or 18 game winning streak and to beat them. We, we went in the eight at that point was an incredible effort, but that's right. So we're going to move on to a new segment here. It's not original. I've unashamedly stole it from other podcasts that I like called like it, dislike it. So essentially I'm going to give a statement to our two guests and they're going to, in a summarized version, tell me whether they agree. I like it or disagree. I dislike it. Kip, I'll go to you first. Devin Smith, bit of a mixed bag last night. Kicked one goal, two, 15 disposal, third on the entire field, both teams for pressure acts, but in the same sense, uh, another couple of cheap 50s and uh, uh, cheap free kicks, a 50, and absolutely burnt Peter Wright when he was on seven goals, when he was 20 metres out in the goal square to kick a snap on his left from 40 out. So like it, dislike it, Kip. Bad Devon outweighs good Devon. I like it. I, I'm i a bit better on Devon Smith than most on the board. I think he does a lot of high-profile, really bad stuff. I think he's a player that needs to start accepting his new limitations. I think if he starts accepting his new, new limitations, stop trying to take, you know, kicking miracle goals and you know, trying try to play hard instead of actually being hard, you know, he, he'd be a really good contributor. He's probably still best 22, but, you know, there's pressure on his spot. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, look, I... I... Disagree with it simply from the point of what you just said. He's still best 22. So if if, if his bad habits and, and the bad things that he does outweigh the good, then he shouldn't be playing. And I agree, you know, there were a couple of times last night where Burnt Zach Merritt, when he was on his outside and, and had a ping instead of giving the handball off. The 50-metre penalty, I, you know, look, I hate some of the stuff he does as much as everyone, but that first 50-metre penalty was one of the softest things I've ever seen. People swing their arm at a player running by as they're kicking the ball every day of the week. And, you know, they don't get pinged. And I know the umpires are looking for any excuse for him, but I think, you know, you've got to take that into account a little bit. So, yeah, for me, no, I'm, I'm happy with his contributions at the moment. But he needs to keep hitting the scoreboard because if he doesn't, then he's probably not going to be outweighing the bad. 
I think he's definitely uh, fortunate, I think, to have that we're so low on small forward depth at the moment. But he does do some good things, so it's an interesting debate. All right, like it, don't like it. Dave, we'll go to you first here. Jake Stringer is Essendon's most important player. Not their best player, but their most important player. Like it, don't like it. Up until this week, I would have agreed with that. He's your typical burst player who can go into the middle and get three or four clearances and turn a game. He's not going to get 30 possessions at the moment with the way that we're playing him. Uh, and, and I don't want to see him played that way. I'd rather see him going forward after the, the centre clearances. But after the weekend's game, I think Sammy Draper's our most important player. I wouldn't say he's necessarily our best player. Uh, I think Parrish and Merritt you know, have been more consistent during the year, but obviously Sam's missed a lot of footy. But I think having that big, strong, burly ruckman that can impose his will and physicality on the clearances. Uh, you know, you've seen with Richmond, with Nankervis and uh, the Abans, what sort of impact they've had. And, and I think for us, that's Sam Draper. Kit, what about you? Like it, dislike it. Jake Stringer is our most important player. I like it. He's our point of difference. Um, and if he continues to perform the way he has in the second half of the year, he's going to be, you know, you, every, every, every team has got, guys who can win possessions like a Merritt, like a Parish. They've got key forwards. They've got, you know, really good defensive backs, but not many sides have a Jake Stringer. Not many sides have a guy who you could put a full forward and he'd kick four or five goals if you left him there. Or now put in the centre square and can just dominate the centre clearances, just, you know, shrug off shrug off everyone, you know, run to 50, hit a target or, you know, put it through. If he stays fit and he stays like this for the next two or three years, look out. We're going to be going places. All right, we've got two more. Uh, the second last one is, like it, don't like it, Dave. Michael Christian has officially lost his mind in suspending Mason Redmond for a week for a dangerous tackle on Marcus Bontempelli. Love it. He's he's absolutely lost the plot completely. How that could be graded medium when Bontempelli got up and handballed the ball, wasn't attended to by the trainers and didn't go off the field, yet Franklin can elbow a bloke in the head and that's deemed low. Yeah, he's lost it. Love it. Great call. Kip, what about you? Like it. I can sort of see if you if you watch it, there is he does Redmond does at the end lift his feet off the ground. His head sort of goes towards the ground, but impact wise, as as Dave said, there's no. I don't know how it's medium impact. I mean, it is it is towards the head, but as you say, Bontempelli didn't show any effects um, unless there's some really delayed concussion we don't know about yet. Yeah, I, I hopefully this gets downgraded at the tribunal but you know the Essendon tax probably is in existence and will be the ones that are left on the um on the whammy like Fletcher the only player ever getting done for tripping or Leroy Jett is the only player ever being suspended for staging so that's just my Essendon chip on the shoulder there um so you know Gleason might get a reprieve with Heppel coming back to fill remnant spot because the AFL has decided to make a stand finally when it's an Essendon player yeah we don't really get the rub of the green do we all right um, Bailey, oh. Bailey Smith tackled Zach Merritt in the third quarter in exactly the same manner, slammed his head into the turf. wasn't even a free kick. Yeah. Look, I, anyway, I, let's move on. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty surprised. Oh, I, I actually didn't know he was suspended until uh, about five minutes before we got on the podcast and just about fell off the chair. Um, but oh, I'm sure we'll challenge it. We'll just have to. Final one. A couple of solid weeks from a couple of journeymen, not journeymen, a couple of the fringe players in our team in, in Dylan Clark and Tom Cutler. We don't have a lot of picks in this year's draft, so the hard colour of the list may be uh, hard to justify. But like it, don't like it, Kip, to start with you, 
Dylan Clark and Tom Cutler have saved their careers over the last fortnight. Like it. Tom Cutler's probably been doing it for the last four or five weeks. As you say, we don't have a lot of draft capital. We have the first. I think we have a couple of thirds after that. You know, is a and then you start getting into the fourth rounders. Um, is a fourth rounder that we pick up going to be um, a better AFL performer over the next couple of years um, than a Tom Cutler or a Dylan Clark? Probably not. Um, yes, you may. There's that like one in a hundred, two hundred chance that you get a, an absolute gun that drops that far, but it doesn't happen a lot these days. You know, you may you may get say a Braden Ham, who's a serviceable AFL player at this stage. So I think they're definitely doing enough to earn another year. And I think there's also enough obvious delistings, which we probably won't go into right now, but I think there's enough obvious delistings on the list in terms of three or four players where players like Cutler and Clark are going to survive. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I think it's, I agree with it. I think they've, they've done enough. Certainly Tom Cutler in the last few weeks has lifted his game. And I think when you look at who we've got out at the moment, uh, who can possibly come back into the side, if we've got a, a fit list in terms of everyone available, are they going to play every week? Probably not, but they're good depth. And and as you know, you said, Chris, I don't think we're going to pick someone up in the third or fourth round that's going to come in straight away and have a better impact. So I'd be happy with giving them another year and then you know, see where they are at the, at the end of next year. Yeah, I think, like I said, the, there's not a lot of draft capital. So we're going to have to trade a couple of guys out if we want to get picks in. And even then, I'd rather us trade players and get future picks for the Davy Twins next year and stock up on the stock up on the picks there, and maybe we can get our first in before those two get bid on and have a really good draft. So we'll we'll turn our attention to next week being the game against the Gold Coast Suns. We're in a great position to potentially make the finals here. GWS and West Coast both have at least one tough game coming up um, in regards to their schedule. We've got a couple of relatively easy ones in the Suns and Collingwood. Dave, we'll start with you here. What's the one thing we need to do this weekend to make sure whenever and wherever we play the Suns, we get the chocolates? We've got to stop them running the ball off halfback. I watched a lot of their game against Carlton, and it was the one thing that they were able to do that probably made a difference in the game. They're very good at handballing the ball forwards and running forward in waves, a bit like the way the Doggies used to play. Um, so we really need to bring the pressure and stop that outlet. You've probably also got to find some way to stop the impact of Tug Miller, um, whether you, you have a run with play or that we don't really seem to do that. You know, he's he's having an exceptional year. He's probably, if he wasn't ineligible for the Brownlow, um, he's probably in the top five, um, top five players for that. You know, and they, they're up and about, although they, they do seem to go through these phases where they go up and down, but, you know, they're, they're coming off a really good win for them against Carlton. We're going to have to be on our game. It's not, it's not going to be an easy game. Um, fingers crossed that it ends up in Victoria. I think we're owed a couple of games um, back here after the last few weeks. Yeah, big opportunity, obviously. Um, results still have to go our way to make finals, but um, you know, if we, all we can do is try and win both our games, and it'd be a really good experience for our players to really push for that finals um, final spot. Yeah, it'll be an interesting game. Like Dave said, they work it off halfback so well. Um, they're so clean going forward. Got a couple of really good users back there, but they can leak heavy from clearances and they're not overly efficient at defending once it goes into inside the defensive 50. So the key, I think, would just be to do more of what we did against the Bulldogs. Um, win clearances, get it in there and uh, make sure we take our chances. And I think we should well and truly win this one. Although Carlton, uh, sorry, the Gold Coast Suns have shown that if you sleep on them, 
They'll beat you. They beat Richmond. They beat Carlton. They fell asleep on the at the wheel, and the Suns came over the top. So really hoping we get on top of this one and have a really handy win and uh, maybe sneak into the eight by the end of the round. It's probably all we got time for today. Uh, it's been great to host today's podcast. Thanks, lads, for uh, jumping on and having a chat. It's been great to have you. Thanks for hosting. Thanks for having us. You did a fantastic job. No worries. All right. Well, that will be episode 15 of Bombercast, a podcast brought to you by Big Footy Essendon. Have a great week. Enjoy the football this weekend. Go Bombers. <laughs> <laughs>